Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I've been thinking about the earthquakes hitting Japan and the emergencies with the tsunamis and the Japanese nuclear crisis. I've been thinking about the suffering of the Japanese people and the concern of people around the world to what extent this whole thing is going to escalate. And I've refrained from doing any type of programming about the event. I've wanted to take five, six days and contemplate how I could be useful and to communicate about it. And I kept getting guidance to call in professional remote viewer Lynn Buchanan. In August 2010, he was our guest to introduce us to remote viewing or controlled remote viewing. He was part of a psychic spy unit for Army Intelligence. He is the current executive director of a company called Problem Solutions and Innovations, also called PSI. And he is the author of the book, The Seventh Sense, The Secrets of Remote Viewing as Told by a Psychic Spy for the U.S. Military. Now, why do I invite him back to discuss controlled remote viewing and his work and training in the context of the Japanese nuclear crisis is because remote viewing is a very direct, time-sensitive, and accurate way to go in and examine and to facilitate and bring forth the solutions to something that is taking a very long time to sort in Japan. Please welcome Lynn Buchanan as he shares with us the applications of remote viewing, gives us the context for what it is again, and how he would apply his services and training to facilitate the end of the crisis and to solve the mystery of how to get this thing so it doesn't go ballistic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Lynn Buchanan to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Uh, let me start out. You mentioned the context. Yes. The uh, context of controlled remote viewing is that it was a scientific methodology developed at Stanford Research Institute, uh, sponsored by the military, for the purpose of developing tools that would allow a person to um, get right straight to their own intuitive ability, talk to their subconscious mind, which somehow knows things, and um, deliver that information to people who can use it. Uh, that's controlled remote viewing, and it was a science. Remote viewing, as a term, started when uh, controlled remote viewing became declassified, and all of a sudden everybody started calling themselves remote viewers, and we had crystal ball remote viewers and palm remote viewers and so forth. And so uh, the controlled remote viewing is the science that was developed. Um, remote viewing, the term remote viewing, applies to so many things that it really has no definition. But the uh, controlled remote viewing was used by the military for a quarter of a century to aid in intelligence collection. And uh, so anyway, that's the background of it. Uh, as far as what it can do, it is very definitely real-world based. Um, to solve problems, you know, we didn't, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we didn't uh, 
do anything for the military or the government except um, provide information that would let them uh, make plans, intentions on real-world things. Uh, there is no spiritualism involved. There is no um, healing as such, uh, although that was something that they always wanted to look into, you know, for uh, hopefully healing troops that were damaged in battle and all. But the um, the applications of it are very firmly rooted in the real physical world, uh, simply because that's its history in the military. And so the question of what it could do for Japan, right now you have, um, you have nuclear plants that are in no telling what kind of condition uh, that are broken, cracked. The um, uh, radiation is a potential hazard, although I don't think it's uh, the hazard that... Uh, Chernobyl certainly was, but um, sooner or later, somebody has to suit up and go into those facilities, and when they do, they're putting themselves at risk. Also, if they don't know what they're going to find in there, then they could go in and, while simply working the way they normally would, you know, to fix something, they may destroy something and make things worse. A uh, controlled remote viewer sitting and working with them before they go in would be able to say, hey, here's what to look for, here's what to be careful of, and uh, here's what you do, and here's what you don't do. And, you know, could talk things over with the people who are going in, possibly save their lives and the lives of anyone else that might be exposed if the thing does have a meltdown or so. Regarding Fukushima Daiichi, explain why you could sit with the people that are going in to try to fix the situation, prepare them before they go in. In other words, what enables you to do that? Explain that to the public. Okay. Uh, basically, what was developed was a way that the subconscious mind can deliver its information to the conscious mind and, uh, you know, it can be brought out to people who can use it. And so if you're sitting there with a uh, schematic uh, or a building plan of the uh, facility, you can go over that and just like a, almost like a dowser, even though it is somewhat different, almost like a dowser, you can go over that plan and find the hot spots, find the... Uh, uh, broken valves, find all of the uh, dangerous spots and all that. And uh, if a person is to go in, then they are going in with a plan and with a certain job to do before they come out. Uh, even suited up, they never let them stay over like 15 minutes. And so they go in with one job to do, they do it and come back out. Uh, you can... Uh, find out, you know, as you uh, as you talk to the person, what they're going to do. You can project yourself forward in time, and um, you know you can find out what they're to do. You are uh, you can project yourself forward in time with them as they do it, and you can add information 
which will let them do a uh, a better job because they will have sort of a preview of information as to what's going on with that particular job. I have a very technical question for you that is going to seem obvious, but why wouldn't the Japanese government use satellite to go in and do the same thing? And how would this be distinct from, let's say, using a satellite to do it? Well, uh, the same situation exists there that existed back when uh, the uh, controlled remote viewing unit was developed for the military. That is, the spy in the sky satellites can see the roofs, uh, but they can't see what's going on inside. Uh, one of our viewers, a man named Joe McMonagle, got the task to um, uh, find out what was going on inside of a building. And um, there was a huge building. He said that they were building a submarine. And um, it came back and said, well, that's crazy because the thing is miles from the water. And uh, he gave the, the plans for the submarine, plus he gave the date and the time that they would roll the thing out and move it to the water. And they actually diverted a spy-in-the-sky satellite to that to be over that position at that date and time, and that was the only photograph that we had for years and years of the Boomer submarine, which was the uh, uh, Russia's biggest, newest automated submarine. And so a viewer can tell what's going on inside of a building and project themselves forward and backward in time because with controlled remote viewing, there's actually no difference between telling a viewer to move 10 days forward in time than 10 feet forward in space. And so a, um, a viewer can uh, move forward in time and space or backward in time and space and give the information of what is going to happen or has already happened or is happening now. Let us suppose that at the level of the people working on the nuclear power plants that they weren't open to this, even though it works. God forbid, let's say they weren't open to it. What would be another application using controlled remote viewing that could be ushered in over there? Well, you see, that's one of the big problems and always has been. Um, that the uh, the information is basically useless if no one uh, acts on it. And so, um, you know, I could sit here and and find everything that's wrong inside of each one of the power plants, but so what? Um, I would just be wasting my time if nobody actually took action on it. I would hope that... Uh, with the severity of the situation over there, that they would consider using some of their own people. They have some very good remote viewers, and in fact, um, I have six uh, remote viewers that I've trained over in Japan who are living there now, and um, and who do good work, by the way. And uh, so I would hope that they have at least considered this. If they haven't, and if they won't, then I'm sorry, but the population population there is just at the mercy of somebody who's making bad decisions.
You've spent time in Japan and had assignments there and learned a bit of Japanese in terms of the language. What would you say culturally would be beneficial for them at this time in terms of how to explain this so that they get it and then would be excited and open? You know, receptivity happens because something has created a space for receptivity. You know, we're in a time is of the essence situation. They are all in a time of the essence situation. And, you know, it's a gamble. Every second is a gamble for not getting it right. What would you suggest how this should be introduced? Uh, I would suggest that it be introduced as as an emergency measure. Uh, The Japanese people are very open to... Uh, the idea of psychic functioning, and they have already shown in in repeated uh, uh, television broadcasts that um, it works and that it can be used to get very highly detailed information. And so it works for them. They understand it. They know the potential of it. And yet... If you have someone in an office who is afraid of messing up or afraid of uh, doing the wrong thing or afraid of, um, of saying, we need help, then it's back to the same situation that you have here in the States uh, with, like, politicians. Uh, the politicians in the U.S. Uh, disbanded the... Um, military controlled remote viewing unit not because it didn't work i mean it had worked wonders for them but simply because uh a politician to say you know they're connected with something psychic well that's political death and so um, as a result we have had soldiers over in iraq and afghanistan who have been captured um and i personally have done work in finding them and um, in one of the uh, things they had moved the person by the time the troops got there and yet there was the um, uh, the terrorist group and they managed to arrest 27 of the terrorist group and yet the hostages were already moved so then they said well let's find the new location and an officer came in and said, I'm not using this stuff because I don't believe it. Even after it had just proven the day before to work. And so, you know, what are you going to do? Um, the The problem is not with the capability and the problem is not with the uh, information and the help that can be given. The problem is with decision makers and Personally, I really don't know how to uh, how to how to simply, you know, bang somebody in the head and say, "Look, here's a tool. You have people who are capable of using this tool, who are trained. Use them." And so, anyway, that's the situation I, I see in Japan as well as in the states here, and. Uh, I would love to see it changed. I just don't know how to change politicians' minds to 
make them more concerned about the people than they are about their own job. I have a quick question. A lot of different news outlets are saying that the leader of Japan is very upset with the electric company. And it's very hard to discern if that's true, if that's a story, if it's a good guy, bad guy situation, because it's such a culture that saving face is important. So it's hard to know what's the reality. I really have to just take it with a grain of salt. But wouldn't it be useful to find out who truly is pulling the trigger, so to speak, or who has the decision-making prowess on this? Wouldn't that be one of the important things to first get to? That's one thing. The second thing is translators, people opening up doors to get this information across. But the other thing is that, you know, it's a breakthrough time because – Our notion of time and space, in order to accept this, people in a decision-making capacity at the highest levels are being forced to be more receptive. The thing is, though, if they are going to accept, let's say, help from the United States to send yet more people in to these nuclear plants, do you think we have that much better expertise than they do? I mean, in terms of the traditional method of trying to, quote, fix it? Yeah. Um... I kind of wonder about that. Uh, the Japanese nuclear program has been sort of a leader in the world, and I know many of their reactors are old and, you know, way past the time when they should have been uh, changed out. But uh, as far as their expertise in, uh, in you know, dealing with the radiation and all, um, they're pretty well up on it. Um, What the Japanese people need right now is humanitarian help more than the, uh, you know, the nuclear expertise. Nuclear expertise certainly wouldn't hurt, but what they have now is uh, people in the streets who have no homes. Their home was washed away. Um, There's no... Uh, transportation and so food is not being delivered to the stores or to the people there are people who are who are out there you know with bad water and like in some third world country and so um, as far as the help that the US could give I don't think it would be in the realm of the um, nuclear expertise as much as humanitarian help. And do you think that the Japanese government will allow humanitarian help to come in, like flying into Tokyo? But the thing is, there's so much destruction with roads and transportation. We really need information on how to usher it in. Yeah, well, we need helicopters. And, you know, we have helicopters. (laughs) We have lots of helicopters that could be helping. Um, I was talking to a uh, man in Tokyo uh, night before last. And uh, he works on the 22nd floor of a building. He said you couldn't stand up and all the furniture was rearranging itself during the earthquake and all that. And that's as far away as Tokyo. And he said that there is no transportation, no buses, no um, no public transportation at all. And even cars on the street are not able to go anywhere. And so everybody is having to walk miles and miles and miles uh, to go to work. And uh, that the grocery stores are empty, and um, and he said that you know it's just a uh, it's an unimaginable 
situation for the people, even as prepared as they were, and uh, you know, as accustomed as they are to earthquakes. I mean, you know, Japan has an average of 20 earthquakes a day. Most of them are extremely small, but they're accustomed to earthquakes. But this one was uh, something far beyond their imagination. Do you think that there's enough helicopters in Japan, or do you think that they actually need helicopters from outside? Oh, they need helicopters from outside. They need all the help they can get right now. Who gives clearance for that? Well, that would be our uh, politicians, you know, uh, for our part of it, or our part of the help, that would be our politicians. And I think there's a need for people to just contact their politicians and say, look, we need to do something. It's interesting that any time there's any crisis, it usually ends up being a military operation that goes in. You know, the fact is, most people don't want to admit this, but we have a military government. Our president is the five-star general, and um, uh, the shoot the flag of the United States is not the civilian flag. The flag of the United States is the uh, military flag uh, because the war of uh, between the states has never been declared over. Uh, the federal government is a military government. And... Uh, I mean, this is basic government 501, you know, <laughs> stuff they don't teach you in government 101, but um, but it's true. We have a military government, so anytime the federal government acts, it's generally through the military. So does this take a presidential directive to send military aid? At some point, it would take a congressional directive and, um, and then probably be approved by the president, yes, uh, by the five-star general rather than the president. Say that one more time. I want to make sure I really get what you just said. The president is both the civilian president and the military five-star general. And so the Congress would have to approve such a thing, and then it would have to be okayed by the five-star general for the military to take action. The five-star general being the president, but he would be acting as the general of the armed forces rather than as the president of the United States. I didn't know he was a five-star general. I don't think a lot oh, yeah. of people know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we definitely have a military government here. For sure? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, most people don't know that, or it's some fact that they learned in in school and was on a test, and then they forgot all about it, you know. So is every president a five-star general? That's right. The office of the president of the United States is automatically granted the rank of a five-star general. Interesting. Very interesting. If, for whatever reason, it doesn't happen in the way you're talking about, meaning humanitarian aid is not brought in, there's no directive to go ahead and bring helicopters in of food and water. That's a lot of people to bring food and water to by helicopter, I mean. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, the Japanese people are very organized. They've lived with these major earthquakes for, you know, all of history. And um, when I was talking to the guy the other night in Tokyo, he was saying that they are organized, that um, everything is going according to the organization, and everything is running 
you know, the recuperation is starting to run smoothly. The problem is they don't have the supplies, they don't have the equipment and everything else because a lot of that was destroyed. And, um, I mean, he was saying that, you know, even with no grocery, no no food in the grocery stores or anything like that, uh, things like looting is totally, absolutely unheard of and just not happening because they are an organized culture. Right, and cooperation is a big deal, big right. deal, culturally speaking. What about the fact that in order for you to do what you do and for the science of controlled remote viewing to be what it is, our understanding and therefore people in decision-making positions are going to have revelation. They're going to have a kind of revelation that there's a protocol to transcend time and space and gather data. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the that revelation has already happened many of our leaders. Um, the The whole problem seems to be that um, uh, the word psychic and psychic spies and all that, you know, spying and the word psychic gets attached to the controlled remote viewing which is a which is an information collection science and uh, as long as those two four letter words get attached to it you know spying and um, psychic then it's going to be a political hot potato got it I often thought that we should come up with some new name and just secretly not relate to remote viewing or controlled remote viewing or psychic spying or something and then right we might be acceptable and start being used. But at some point, the tool is far too valuable. The government and, uh, uh, you know, the leaders of our nation are going to have to say, hey, it's dumb not to use this. Uh, people ask me sometimes, you know, is the government still using the remote viewing? And I, um, I always respond that they would be stupid not to. But then that raises the question as to whether or not our government ever does anything stupid. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm afraid the answer is that it does. And at some point, the government and our leaders are going to have to say, hey, it's stupid not to use this tool because it's a valuable one. But um, as far as the Japanese crisis right now, um, it's kind of painful to me to know that I have the tools and I have the ability to be of help to so many people and, um, and you know, to sit here and, and nobody seems to call to ask for the help. Kim Greenhouse called you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am very... I know. I know. I know that you're sitting there. It's kind of like a bow and arrow or a surgeon. You can actually help with relief. I really think that remote viewing can help with relief. Let's talk about that application, can we? Okay, there are um, logistics involved in simply getting food to different places and getting people out of um, uh, situations where they have no help and getting not only help to the people but also people to where there is help. And uh, there are a lot of logistics involved. Controlled remote viewing was designed to help with uh, logistics of um, of the uh, plans and intentions of leaders, 
the actions of leaders, how to uh, predict very accurately what will happen if a certain plan is followed. And so, uh, you know, the controlled remote viewing would be of tremendous help in just uh, working the logistics of relief. I was going to say, because there's so much damage, it's not like there's a map already ready for everybody to know what roads can be used, where you can walk, where you can drive a bike, where food is going to be, where water is going to be. It's like it's all spread out and sporadic, and I don't think it's confirmed. That's where I thought it could be really helpful. Yeah, the um, uh, town we lived in uh, that we really, really loved was Masawa, which is up in... uh, the north part of Japan, and um, from what I've been able to find out, it was just, uh, you know, a major part of the town was just demolished. And there are smaller towns around nearer the coast that uh, they're just not there anymore. And, um, you know, many of the people wanted to go to higher ground, especially those along the coast, and because earthquakes had been the way they had before, their thinking was that higher ground would be the second floor of their house. Well, of course, then the whole house was swept away. And just, you know, as you see the um, the films on the news of all those houses being swept away, what you have to realize is that in almost every one of those houses, there are people there and that uh, in most of those where the the houses were just swept away and tumbled over into the water, uh, those people are gone. It's really shocking to watch. It's so shocking to watch what happened. I'm sure that people are still in a state of shock, total shock, the ones that are living. Oh, yes, Uh absolutely. And, you know, here's another kind of of, uh, humanitarian aid that we could give is simply comfort and... uh, uh, psychological help, you know, psychiatric help even, uh, to help them get through this time of grieving and, you know, not Loss. crisis alone, but also the grieving. Could you in remote viewing go in and let's say you have a map in front of you and be tasked to gather data, what will be the best gathering place in the next week to two weeks for people of Japan to stay safe. There may be a couple places in Japan that maybe more people should be evacuated to until the nuclear situation is very clear or at least clearly communicated and honestly communicated to the rest of the population. Wouldn't that be useful? Yeah, that kind of work for a uh, controlled remote viewer is just a uh, uh, basic remote viewing. I mean, that's a piece of cake. I mean, you could even do safe for the next 14 days, the next 28 days. In other words, while they're in the midst of the traditional trying to sort it in a state of emergency, something that's time sensitive... People could be rerouted and at that location brought food and water and shelter or other pathways of getting shelter in the interim. I think when things like this happen, people are thinking about staying alive first. And we're six days out now and 
People are glued to the news around the clock. So productivity is not great. And a lot of people feel that they're not getting the correct transmission of information in terms of what the radiation levels really are and how they're changing, good or bad. Right. And the Japanese government has put a blackout on that uh, information so that the Japanese people are left wondering. And it's a situation right now to where no news is even scarier than bad news. And... uh, and so uh, right now the Japanese government has basically put, a, put out a blackout on all of the radiation information to the Japanese people. Could Russia help bring ships in or temporarily house people or bring people over or any of the other countries nearby? Yeah, China, Mongolia, Russia, uh, they can all be of, of help in that, in that way. Let's suppose that you were the emperor of Japan this moment. With your abilities and insight, what would you do? Basically, you know, when you get hurt, you go to somebody who can heal. Right. And um, if I were the emperor of Japan, I would start asking for some help, some healing. Um, The, uh, you know, the pride of being self-sufficient and all that is a great thing to have. But when a crisis comes, and it's a crisis of this measure, this magnitude, um, it, it doesn't hurt to, you know, just put out a call for help and then to accept it. You would go into a controlled remote viewing session as well to see what are the most urgent tasks. How would it look like in terms of the protocol? Okay, in terms of the protocol, asking for help. The uh, the Japanese people in the Japanese government are the ones who would have to then say, okay, here's the help I need and here's the way we need it. Uh, just uh, asking for, you know, randomized volunteers, of course, is not um, beneficial and it's not the organized Japanese way. And so... Um, the, the help that would come would have to be directed by the Japanese themselves, by their own emergency crews, by their only own emergency people, because they're the ones who know the Japanese. They're the ones who know the situation best and so on. And so uh, what I would do is I would call for help in the terms of food, uh, supplies, uh help for, you know, shelter for those who uh, have just lost their homes and uh, and um, have it under the Japanese uh, direction. I think it has to be that way because the Japanese are prepared for these things and they are very organized in their preparation. And so any help that comes in, I think, has to be directed by the Japanese themselves. I get that. Where did you hear that there were blackouts? Is it only blackouts in the Fukushima Uh, I really don't know. The guy I was talking to in Japan, and in Tokyo, said that they cannot get any information whatever about the nuclear plants and all that, and that basically he said the blackout has been put on any information along that line that they keep promising that uh, uh, when things are over, they'll let everybody know what 
what went on, but right now they're they're not wanting to get people uh, distraught and get people scared and all that. And of course, like I say, in a situation like that, no news is even worse than the bad news. Sure. Why is it that controlled remote viewing is able to transcend time and space? What is it about time and space that's pivotal that most of us don't know and aren't tracking? Uh, One of the questions that we have always gotten asked is, where does the information come from? Uh, To tell the truth, we have no idea. We know that it comes through the subconscious mind and... um, and that whether you believe in spirit guides or holograms in the universe or the collective consciousness or whatever, the information still comes into your subconscious mind. The controlled remote viewing is a set of tools to get what's in your subconscious up to your conscious mind so that it can get written down on paper and sent to somebody who helps. Uh, as far as the mechanics of where the subconscious mind gets the information and the mechanics of how it does that, um, I wish I had an answer, but the fact is we don't. Uh, we just, um, you know, people will tell me that it comes from spirit guides or whatever, and my take on this is very much the uh, the real-world take that we had in the military, and that is wherever you believe the information comes from or how it gets to you is fine with me if you can help me bring that missing kid home alive. And, um, and you know, I'm very practical-minded about this. And, in fact, one of the things you'll find about all of the controlled remote viewers is that they're very practical, real-world-minded. Um, the mechanics of it, we don't know where the subconscious gets the information or how it moves through time and space. And the fact is, we don't care. All we care is, can you do it accurately? Can you get the information that's going to tell an archaeologist, dig here and you'll find something, or tell a cop, go here and you'll find the missing kid? And if we can do that, then... uh, We'll leave it to philosophers to decide where the information comes from. Is the subconscious mind like an antenna, or it's a storage house? Well, you know, that's one thing the philosophers have to work on. Um, I kind of think it's both, and uh, I kind of think that um, the subconscious mind is not limited to you know, to fitting inside your skin. I think it, uh, the subconscious mind actually goes much farther out from you than that, possibly out to being the collective consciousness. But that's my philosophy. Other people have different philosophies, and like I say, um, the uh, the controlled remote viewing, well, like the, the two soldiers that uh, were hot, taken hostage, um, what we did was, well, what I did on this one, uh, I described their location. That information was sent over to their military unit, and once they saw the sketches, once they saw the description of the location, 
they said, oh, we know exactly where that is. They they took a team out there. The uh, two hostages had already been moved, and yet the uh, terrorist cell was still there, and they captured 27 of them. Um, and, you know, then, uh, then they said, well, they've been moved. Where are they now? I gave another description, and some officer in Washington, D.C. said, we're not passing that to the unit because I don't believe in that stuff. Um, where that information came from or how the subconscious moves in time and space, I don't really care. I just wanted to bring those two soldiers home. Um, sadly, because it was not acted on, about a month later, the uh, bodies of the two soldiers were found. I sincerely believe that they could have been brought home alive uh, if some stupid officer in D.C. hadn't, you know, been too prejudiced to pass the information to the uh, military unit that was actually waiting for the information. Question somebody may have, Lynn, is that because time is clicking along, at least in the minds of many people who think traditionally, what you see in a moment of time through remote viewing is likely to shift in an hour. So someone may say, well, then what good is it? If what you go in and view may be during a certain time frame only, but at least you know what time frame that is, correct? One of the things we found in the military was that, um, uh, like if I say the criminal is going to be at Joe's Bar and Grill at 9, tonight, at 9 o'clock tonight, um, then the police go out at 8.30, hide in the bushes and arrest him at 8.35. Then at 9 o'clock tonight, he won't be at Joe's Bar and Grill. He'll be, at, he'll be in jail. And yet if I say to nine o'clock, at 9 o'clock tonight, he'll be in jail, they never will go out to Joe's Bar and Grill, and at 9 o'clock he'll be sitting there. The future is highly changeable. And so um, once you predict the future, if someone acts on it, it's going to change that future. Um, we have an analogy that you're, sitting, you're a bug on the pond of time. Right. You see a bug on the other side of the pond, and you think that would make a good meal, and that other bug is sitting by this big rock. As you skim across the pond of time, you set up a wake in front of you, and it may scare that bug off. And so can you then say that at the time you started, the bug wasn't there simply because he's not there when you get there? And uh, the answer is no. Uh, the future will change. The future is not what it used to be. The um, analogy of the bug in the pond of time is... Right. Uh, the rock will still be there. There are some things in time that you can't change. There, you know, in the future that you can't change, and there are some things that simply acting on them will change them. Uh, the other analogy we use is that life is like playing chess with God. That uh, you can pull off some really smart moves and capture some of His men and do some really good stuff, but in the end, He wins. Always wins. That's a great analogy, and actually it reminds me of the first interview that we did together. If, in fact, though, with regard to time, like this situation in Japan is time-sensitive emergency. Yes, and really needs help. So a time-sensitive task in a controlled remote viewing scenario would be 
what, tasking what needs to be done in the next 24 hours? Absolutely, yes. And, uh, you know, because once you do that, then what follows after the next 24 hours will be different from what it would be if you didn't act. And so this is why I was saying that someone needs to actually sit down with the people at the planning desk and sit down with the guy who's going to suit up and go into that facility and uh, actually be there on the spot and actually work in real time with these people. Um, uh, Because moment by moment, the future can change. What if you were to go in and do a controlled remote viewing session sometime today? I'm not saying that you can, but if you did. Yeah. And you could go in and task which is the first reactor that has to be responded to that's actually more urgent that they may not even know. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. That would be no problem. The problem would be then what do I do with the information that I've gained? If there were someone there who would readily accept that information and who would act on it, then it would be one of the most useful things that you could possibly do to save possibly thousands of lives. If nobody would act on it, then it would be a waste of time. I'm sure in your work you have had to rely on your instincts and your intuition as well through your life. Oh, yeah. Uh In rainmaking, we say that you provision for what needs to happen and you start preparing what needs to happen and then who it needs to go to will appear. People will help bring that to the people that need it. Sometimes people won't take a step to do something like this until you know you have the people. So in a time-sensitive emergency scenario, for example, I would take a leap of faith and I would start with some elements of this, if you could, and prepare the information on a time-sensitive level and allow the people that are willing to start doing the footwork to get it to the people who need to hear it to usher that in. The question is, who are those people and how do I contact those people or how do they contact me? They're going to hear by this segment that I've just agreed to be one of those people to begin working on this. This is a communications task. This is a whole systems task just to do what it's going to take, whoever it's going to take, but it's a whole other body of work than what you may be called to do. Yeah. The tsunami and the earthquake was Friday. I think it was Saturday where the nuclear began to stop working. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we're now Wednesday. So that's five days. Five days it's been rolling and we're no closer to fixing it that we know of. They're not giving any inkling that this is easily and quickly being able to be fixed. I don't sense that kind of confidence at all. So it seems like maybe there's some tasks that can be done on your end, and then others of us will begin shepherding this. This is going to take a team of people to be working on different elements of this. Right. But I think that the severity of it, if it all melts down, what are we looking at? Well, what we're looking at is the potential to help and trying to get that potential into actual help. Right. Um, Like I can do the remote viewing, on what's going to happen an hour from now. But I can't get it to anyone until they listen 
And so the job that you could do and that your listeners could do is get somebody to listen. And, um, you know, it's, um, uh, I hate to use a term that's already been in use, but it's time to make some rain here. Indeed. It's a worthy call and it's a noble call. It's really a mandate because this is going to impact people in many countries of the world. This radiation can last thousands of years. And I don't know the potential of six reactors melting down or even two reactors melting down, but I have a feeling it's beyond our imagination. Oh, yeah. If that that happens, first of all, the winds... Uh, that are going to carry things are going to carry them across Russia and across the northern Americas. And so, uh, you know, at this point, people are, are sitting at home saying, those poor Japanese, you know, somebody ought to do something. And that somebody is never them. But they're not realizing that if this meltdown happens, hey, your kids are in danger. You're in danger. And, uh, and, you know, it's, like I say, it's time to make some rain. It's time to get up off the derriere and actually do something. It's a pleasure and an honor to talk with you. And I really appreciate your time. It's rainmaking time. Let's begin. Let's begin. Good. And include provisioning, even though we don't have answers on who the final people are, what's going to happen. Go ahead and do what's within our call to do. Yeah. And allow others to come in and facilitate as well. Sometimes it's not such a task to speak to one person directly as it is to simply make so much noise that they can't refuse to hear it. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with Lynn Buchanan, the author of The Seventh Sense, the founder and executive at Problem Solutions Innovations. He is a trainer of remote viewing and a former trainer for the U.S. government's remote viewing unit. He has been explaining controlled remote viewing as a solution, as a data gathering methodology and protocol. You can reach him at crviewer.com. We'll be speaking to you really soon. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for having me.